Hello, and welcome to this episode of Not a Lady, a Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman podcast. My name is Sarah. And I'm Kelly. And this is episode one of season two, titled The Race. Let me say that this episode, it's like the Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman version of She's the Man. Without Amanda Bynes. (laughs) And Gouda. (laughs) And Gouda. Channing Tatum. But let's be honest, we would all take Byron Sully over that guy. (laughs) Yes. Any day. Oh, Duke, Duke, Duke. Yeah, what kind of name is that? No, because his name is Duke because in the Shakespeare play, he is a Duke. Oh, you would know that English teacher. Of course I would. (laughs) It was super fun and I'm excited to talk about it today. Season 2, Episode 1, The Race, aired September 25th, 1993. Season 1 ended in 1993 in the spring, and they had already filmed and were releasing Season 2 by the end of 1993. They don't don't turn around seasons that quick like that anymore. No, they gotta hold you in, make sure you come back. Yeah. It was directed by Chuck Bowman. This is his 8th of 32 directorial stints. The last one we saw him in was the season one finale, Portraits. And the writing team was Sarah Davidson. This was her fifth of, she will go on to write 24 episodes. The last one we watched written by her was Rite of Passage. Tony Perling, who we have had as a writer before, this is her first of 23 runs as executive story editor. And she will go on to be executive story editor for 23 episodes. She will write specifically 14. And obviously, Beth Sullivan is creator. So we open up on the town, and in good Colorado Springs fashion, nobody works around here. They all stand around to see what the newest thing to talk about is happening. And it's funny to me that they're all watching them post the billboard. But meanwhile, behind them is literally a huge banner that says Colorado sweepstakes. I know, like across the whole, yeah. But it's like they're learning it for the first time that the Colorado sweepstakes, there's going to be a race and the reward is $500. Can I just criticize the naming of horses in this episode? You don't like Destiny? Destiny? We haven't even met Destiny. It's, it's more Hank being like, my horse hurricane (laughs) and Matthew like my horse scout to me scout is a dog's name I know a human named scout or a human name but when I worked at the dog doggy daycare we had so many scouts that being said Doc Cassidy is coming from Denver another doctor so Dr. Mike's excited we only actually get one scene this is the only scene we get in the town it's kind of an interesting... That's true, because it's kind of a special... Yeah. It's cool, but also surprising, because you would think they would want to... The question is, what's familiar to us now, right? Is it the town, or is it the characters? I, and I think this episode is cool, because they, they're like, no, we're, we're sinking in that where the characters are recognizable, so we kind of want to set them up. Right. Silly comes, and 
we figure out that they're going to the reservation and Dr. Mike is going to get on her horse. Also named Bear. <laughs> that's a, yeah, that's a good point. Although we know a dog named Bear, so maybe it's... <laughs> yes, but that dog is a Newfoundland, so he actually looks like a bear. <laughs> Sully insists that they ride together, which you part of you is like, oh, he's trying to be romantic, but not really. There's a purpose, you'll see. I mean, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> Do you think it's kind of funny that he says it in front of like everyone? No, that was awkward. That was kind of awkward because everybody's like watching them have this interaction where he's like, trust me and she's like okay i'm like why didn't he like at least let her walk away from the group and then be like hey just just ride with me because i feel like everyone's watching and no one's saying anything but the last time we saw them he put his arm around her and took a picture so you know (laughs) they've made leaps and bounds in their relationship i will say they did look cute together though riding away riding away to the cheyenne village where we find dr mike is actually giving smallpox vaccinations which We have talked about smallpox, well, the vaccination on this show before. What episode was that? Father's Day. Father's Day. But just as a quick reminder, I'm not going to go into vaccinations as a whole right now. The smallpox vaccine was the first vaccine to be developed against a contagious disease, and that was in 1796. It is now eradicated. It no longer exists in the natural world, but... There is actually, the CDC and the U.S. have vials of it. One of them is in the U.S. and one of them is in Russia. So they guard those things very uh, closely, obviously. But that's not something we deal with. But at the time, this was definitely relevant and definitely something that could have been devastating to the Native American community. We then know that Snowbird wants to give her a gift for helping the community. But in this case, I think because she's been there helping give vaccinations. And the gift is a very cute pinto mare named a Hewa. Hewa C. I don't know. I just am one of those lame people that watches captions. <laughs> I didn't have captions, but I just went off how I thought she said it. How did you read it? It's spelled H E W A S I. I wish they had kept the Cheyenne name because I just think it's a nicer name than... Well, and yeah, it stands for Flash in the Sky. And then, yeah, they call her Flash, which to me is a, a superhero. <laughs> the Flash. Oh, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> Wait, can I tell you something really funny? I was telling someone about this show, and I was telling... I was like, oh, have you ever seen Dr. Quinn, Medicine Woman? And they're like, oh, that's part of Marvel, right? <laughs> oh, they were thinking of Harley Quinn. Oh, but that's that not even Marvel either. That's not Marvel. That's DC. DC. I don't know. I anyway, don't know. It made me laugh that happened today. And I was like, I have to tell Sarah about that because I was like trying not to laugh. But I was like, oh, no. Um. Anyway, you just said the Flash. The Flash isn't Marvel, is it? No, the Flash that's is That's DC. Yep. Anyway. Correct. Anyway. Yes, Flash in the Sky, which she tries to turn down the gift. She said, oh, I can't accept this. And Cloud Dancing says, you will actually insult my wife if you don't accept a gift if you turn down her gift. And what better way to top it off than a beautiful saddle hand engraved by <laughs> Byron Sully himself. Mm-hmm. Did you notice the look that like Cloud Dancing and Snowbird give each yeah. other when <laughs> after that happens? They're so cute. <laughs> but it's a look of like, yeah. oh, you made her a saddle? We remember those days. <laughs> we know Cloud Dancing is one person who can read Sully better than he can even really read himself. So, And I'm super glad 
I should I didn't say it, but Tantu Cardinal being back, like we're so happy yeah. to see her back. We just talked about her in the trivia. We did season one trivia, and we were talking about her. Like, oh, can't wait for her to come back. I also thought it was really funny because Snowbird's like the men call her crazy lady, but for some reason I had like looked at my notes or something. And I did. I thought she was referencing Dr. Quinn. I thought she was like the men call her a crazy lady, which hey made sense to me. Crazy white woman, right? Like, that's how we know these two are gonna be soulmates, Dr. Mike and the horse. But also, crazy white woman, crazy lady. That could have been the name of our podcast. True. <laughs> it's really funny. I wrote down Sully giving Dr. Mike a handwoven, you know, leather western saddle engraved with her name on it not even her name dr mike dr mike (laughs) i wrote all the confession slash profession i need (laughs) good to know that that's all it takes (laughs) listen do you know how much saddles cost i don't but i can imagine yeah an engraving on a saddle like yeah i did do a little bit of cultural research i found an article that, mind you, was probably written by a white person, but it was written in 1973, and it was titled, Giving Away the Ceremonial Distribution of Goods Among the Northern Cheyenne. But I read part of this article, and it talked about the Cheyennes actually have a ceremonial tradition of giving away and gift-giving, and that as a tribe, the Cheyenne value high generosity, this giving away is always to honor specific individuals. But what's interesting is because it's a tribal value of giving away, it is viewed as reciprocal. It's something that you give a great amount away and then someone else will give a great amount away. I don't know if the the show writers, how familiar they were with this ceremonial tradition, but it really seems to reflect that in that Dr. Mike, we've only seen her in the reservation maybe this may be the second time. I know Colleen once went without her, but we have this idea that she goes there regularly and that she's been giving vaccinations and taking care of people's health. And just to know that this huge gesture of giving her a horse could be viewed as part of this ceremonial giving away, which also I think is supported by cloud dancing being like you can't turn this down because if we if if we believe in this reciprocal giving away you have given much and now it is our turn to give and so I thought that was like I said I don't know how much the writers were familiar with that but I feel like it really reflects that culturally so that was really special yeah no that's actually very interesting the next scene sees Sully cloud dancing and Dr. Mike leaving the reservation Sully asks Cloud Dancing if he wants to race. Dr. Mike wants to try out her new horse. (laughs) Yeah. But Sully says, Cheyenne women don't race or don't race men or some against men. Yeah. In Cheyenne tribal tradition, Cheyenne women were nurturers and very few of them fought. But what's interesting and what's probably different from, we would say like the white settler culture is that the Cheyenne do practice, like, is it practice or have what's called matrilineal custom, which is where the family lines are through the mother. There is this view of women as nurturers and homemakers and that they value sisterhood deeply, which I thought was cool also when you think about Snowbird gifting Dr. Mike the horse. However, I did want to mention in my reading about the traditions of Cheyenne women, I read about Mochi. 
She is considered one of the most famous female Cheyenne warriors, and she started to fight after surviving both the Sand Creek Massacre and Washita. She's, it's not really related to this episode, but I, I found it really amazing to read about her and how she had watched these two huge tragedies and ended up really taking a stand and becoming a, a, a female warrior. So I have links to it on our website if you want to read more about her. To go back to the scene, Dr. Mike, in good Dr. Mike fashion, doesn't take no for an answer and totally leaves the boys in the dust. I love it. No, but I like that she, like, pretends like she's not going to and then, like, turns around and does it. I'm like, yes. And they're not surprised. Ask for forgiveness, not permission. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they're not surprised. Actually, Cloud Dancing is kind of, like, smiling at the end. It's funny. Then the good old title sequence, which still the same. I know, like, some shows now, like, they, you know, like, different seasons will have different yep. scenes in the... Yeah. It's like an introduction to her whole story. You right. see from her arrival to Charlotte dying to the family, yeah. Charlotte dies? <laughs> You're funny. <laughs> it didn't go over as well as I hoped. <laughs> <laughs> so we're at the house, we're in the barn, they're kind of getting Flash settled, and Colleen actually suggests possibly racing Flash. And it kind of turns into this conversation where Matthew's like... You'll, you'll get thrown off. Like, it's not a good idea. And then sweet Brian, he's like, don't do it, Ma. Like, I don't want anything bad to happen to you. Which is a cute thing of a kid to say about their mom. But the best part is Colleen responds to that, like, she's done a lot of dangerous things before. <laughs> Knowing what we know about his previous mother and things when Dr. Mike has been on death's door possibly before, they won't ever revisit his fear and it like won't be right. explored in this episode, but I'm kind of like, that's really, I don't know. I feel like we should have paid a little more attention to that. Like he has a fear, a trauma of losing his mother figure. And we, we don't, yeah. she just says, it's, I'll be fine. We'll talk about it tomorrow, but we never really come back to it. Well, it was interesting because when I've obviously seen this episode before, but rewatching it, I actually thought when he started to like say all that stuff that he was going to have that phrase, which he said before is like, I don't want to lose two maws yep. or something like that, you know, yep. but he doesn't. Nope. So yeah, it's kind of this understanding of like, you know, that's where the fear is coming from, but we don't have to say it, which is kind of good. Cause I think you get annoyed with that. Sometimes you're like, you don't have to say it, like say things, you know, you've said like, there are some things that you should be able to express through emotions and exactly. and um, just expressions. You stuff. don't have to repeat the lines, but I do feel like this was a moment where it felt like it was opening a door to explore what he was feeling, which was was genuine. Because the fact is, though we know Dr. Mike has some plot armor, right? Mm -hmm. The fact is that anyone can die, right? So having a good conversation about death and he, he that's not something that you can always control. Yeah. Maybe because it had started as a lighthearted moment that it wasn't really the time to have like that conversation. But I, I did notice like, oh, that is, we've seen this before. Yep. Yeah. And you did kind of skip over Dr. Mike's new pony does tricks. Oh, she does tricks? Which, by the way, I should tell you, Flash, this little pinto mare, not a mare, gelding. <laughs> I didn't notice, <laughs> is what I'll say. Looks like the next day and the family with Sully are headed to the fairgrounds. Matthew actually repeats from the previous scene this concern that Dr. Mike really doesn't understand the intensity of this 
race or the danger. It makes sense. I think that Brian asks Sully if he's going to race. What makes less sense to me is Sully saying, oh, I don't race for money. Because in my head, I'm like, Sully, you only learned to ride like maybe half a year ago or maybe a year ago or something. Let me tell you, in this episode, Joe Lando actually showcases some real natural horsemanship in a way that I haven't really noticed before, but probably because he had a lot more ride time in this episode. We finally do meet Doc Cassidy's destiny. Do you think that's his first name or his last name? Doc Cassidy. I thought maybe he would be a historical person, but I couldn't find anything about a doctor. Like, you know how Doc Eli, Doc Eli, like Eli, Dr. Mike, that's her first name, Doc Cassidy. I just have never met a man named Cassidy. Oh, Kid Cassidy? Cassidy was a, was oh. a man's name at one point, I think. Okay. Yeah. We learned Matthew's racing motivation that he hopes to use that $500 to build his house which is interesting because we haven't like heard much from him and ingrid we haven't seen ingrid in a while like you know what i mean she I'm was saying, in like, portraits but just to stand next to him <laughs> well just because there was this whole episode about like i want to marry this girl and then it's progressing but we don't really we haven't seen much of it progress so anyway it's kind of nice robert e is there to reassure him like don't let them shake you like you could still win man robert e and grace i feel like are the ultimate cheerleaders in this episode and i feel like they should get more screen time than just being cheerleaders for like why doesn't grace enter a pie you know what i mean like (laughs) that's true because we know she would win exactly and i'm like I, i want them to get some some more time I have a whole thing written out about shoeing horses and horse racing, but I don't think anyone probably cares about that other than me. (laughs) So we'll just, we'll move past it. Speaking of Grace, but she did enter something. Well, she said, oh no, she's not entering a pie. She's entering her wild berry preserves, which by the way, sounds delicious. And Brian expresses that he wants to do something at the fair, but he is not good at anything. And Grace encourages him, not in any direction, but encourages him in which he's like, One plus one equals two. I want you to teach me how to cook. And you know what? I'm really happy, even though Colleen says like, oh, boys don't do that. And Grace shuts it down and is like, we're going to teach you. You're going to learn today. Yeah. I like that. Just because in the rest of the episode, there's oh, it's always, here's how the world works. I know. (laughs) For the period, this episode focuses a, a lot on, which Dr. Quinn already focuses on it, but like just the focus on challenging gender norms and stuff. Yeah, I love that in, Grace in that scene made me think like she's gonna, she's gonna be a great mom because she, yeah. she just, she actually listens to what he wants right. and what he's interested in. And it's cute because this is not the first time we've heard Brian say, like, I'm not good at anything. And, you know, she's like, you don't need to be good at a bunch of things. You just need to find one thing that you really love. And then Which is true. pursue it. I think I remember at one point I saw on the internet somewhere, it was like, would you rather be mediocre at a hundred things or excellent at one thing? And um, it's very personal the way people, people look at that. Like, actually, I'd like to be able to do a lot versus, no, yeah. if I'm going to do something, I want to be able to do it the best <laughs> so yeah I think it brings up just a good point of like yeah you don't you don't have to be good at everything like you can pick a couple things and yeah. we're gonna find out if pie baking is one of them <laughs> you know my history with like cooking and baking though I will say being in another lockdown in another country due to COVID I'm getting lots of cooking practice in a way that I never have before. So maybe by the end of this, I will actually be mediocre (laughs) at cooking. (laughs) But 
I love when he, Colleen's like, how, you wouldn't even, you don't even know how. You've never made anything anymore. You've never cooked a thing in your life. Yeah. And Brian's like, well, I ate a lot. I know what tastes good. Hey, that's true. I don't know if that works, though, because I've eaten a lot of good things, too, and I wouldn't say I'm, <laughs> I've picked up anything. You know, you know the things you like. You do. Anyway, <laughs> the next scene we have Dr. Mike and Sully are riding and she's just bragging on this horse, man. She really loves this horse. I, I like that. She asks Sully's opinion, actually, on what he would think about her joining the race, which he admits that he wouldn't be surprised and there would be no convincing her not to do it once she's decided to do it. And this is where I wrote down that I really noticed Joe Lando has some really natural horsemanship in this part. Flash is throwing her head a little bit, shows that tension on the bit's a little tight, but he asked her a question that I just want, I don't want to talk about it now, but I want to mention it because I'm going to talk about it later. Sully asks Dr. Mike, what are you proving by joining the race? Dr. Mike replies, it's not about proving. It's about taking up a challenge and trying for excellence. So that's the statement that she makes, and I just want to make note of it so we can come back to it later. Okay. A notable quote for that little scene. He also says, odds are you probably aren't going to finish, by the way. (laughs) He's realistic and he's honest in being like, you've clearly already made up your mind about this, but I thought that was a funny comment. Mm. And she doesn't get offended. I guess that that shows progress in their relationship. (laughs) Snaps for Dr. Quinn. Not as sensitive as she once was. (laughs) Well, until like 20 minutes from now. (laughs) That's true. Dr. Mike and Colleen are walking into town with Flash, and Dr. Mike meets Doc Cassidy for the first time, in which he assumes, like, oh, do you have a medical, do you need medical attention or something? (laughs) She's like, no, I'm a physician. And he's like, that studied where? Basically, I'm having a flashback, right? Because this has happened with her numerous, numerous times. He thinks it's a joke. He thinks it's a literal joke, and she even invites him for dinner. And it's unfortunate for her that... This whole interaction has to happen. We're not surprised, right? Yeah. I give Dr. Mike props for never going into a conversation with, with a, I was going to say with another doctor, but really with a man, assuming that he is sexist or, you know, is going to belittle her, like, especially because of her experience. Like, we're almost like, oh, we know this guy's going to be a jerk, right? Like, we, we expect it. Right. But the fact that she builds relationships never expecting the worst of people, I think is something worth noting and something that for all the the anger and frustration she's going to have over the way he treats her later, it is notable. Yes, he's annoying. When we have characters like Hank who are just jerks and just say nasty things to the point that we just ignore them now, Doc Cassidy is kind of the other end of the spectrum, at least in the beginning, where he's almost patronizingly polite in dismissing her he's almost like okay sweetie okay (laughs) he doesn't say that but that's how his tone feels right but they are interrupted when cassidy's rider drew is kicked in the head by destiny correct and dr mike and doc cassidy both walk over and 
Dr. Mike actually says like, oh, let's take him to the clinic. I can examine him in the clinic. Doc Cassidy, it blows my mind. He asked three questions. Well, he looks in his eyes. He asks if he's dizzy and he asks if he had any hearing loss. Those are his three questions. And from those three history questions, he decides that his guy is good. Drew is good to go and dismisses Dr. Mike from the situation, which again, not the first time this has happened, but I feel like it's been a hot minute since like somebody's been like, no, thank you. Go away. You know, I'm just picturing like when she went into Jake's shop and they're like, mm-hmm. we don't need your help. Mm-hmm. So obviously I, you don't have to work in the medical field or go to PA school to know that someone getting kicked in the head by a horse c- could be bad. We talked about traumatic brain injury before. We talked about Brian just falling out of a tree. It's, it's essentially the same mechanism, right? Any sort of force that's pushing your skull against your brain to have that movement. And sure, there are a lot of people that may not have immediate symptoms, but that doesn't mean you're okay. So we'll we'll see this play out later in the episode, but I don't know. I'm like mad for her that she just gets so easily dismissed. But apparently it didn't upset her that much because the first thing she does after this is go to sign up for the race. <laughs> or or she's she's channeling her annoyance and being like, well, if I can't show up over here, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to say, hey, Lauren, I want to enter my horse in the race. And, oh, by the way, I'm going to ride it. And you get those same three busybody men, Hank, Jake, and Lauren, being like, you can't ride, you're a girl. I know, what are we, 12? (laughs) You're a girl. No, we're not 12, we're the 1860s. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's, it's a control thing, too. Like, they just like to be in control of... All the factors. They like having the power. It is. It's about power. And they give this little, well, rules don't need to be written. It's, It's just a rule. Which I was thinking back because there was a similar comment in the episode with Ingrid's brother and the whole butchering of the cow situation. And it was all about the written rules. I thought that was funny, right? Because it always, whenever it's it's most convenient for you, right? Mm -hmm. Like, oh, we don't need written rules. We do need written Mm -hmm. rules. But apparently males over 14, that's the general consensus in case you didn't know. And Cranky Lauren, I'm like, okay, Cranky Lauren is bad. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So kind of the same scene, Dr. Mike and Colleen are now walking away from the fair. And I don't know, there's a a cool conversation that goes on where they kind of talk about other times that Dr. Mike has been told no in her lifetime. And the first thing that she references is her experience about women in medical school and how she was told that women are too delicate. It's not something that you'll be able to do, but she wouldn't accept hearing a no, which Colleen then brings up, well, why are you giving up this time, basically? Like, what's different? I mean, obviously it is different, like medical school versus like riding your brand new horse. But Dr. Mike, well, why am I, why am I giving up this time? Perhaps, what did she say? I'm like blinking at it. Yeah, she, she says that the, they're going to stick to their rules. They're not going to let her ride despite the rules. So her only option is to change the rule. Change the rules, correct. I like that heart to heart with Dr. Mike and Colleen. Yeah, me too. Especially with your daughter, like yep. have that conversation. Well, it's cute too, because it's like the three girls, right? Flash, Dr. Mike, and Colleen. Talking about life is... It's unfair to the girls. They have to try so much harder just to do anything. Exist. Well, yeah, and also think about it, right? It's not just like, oh, she can't enter her horse in the race. Literally three seconds before that conversation happened, she was dismissed again because she's a woman. Imagine having every aspect of your life consistently turned away. Be brought back to that same conversation, like, which, by the way, 
not something she can change or she sh- would, you know what or I mean? Or can like, control. Yeah, like... Exactly. Yeah, agree. I do like the next scene because Mike and Sully are dressed up. Oh, they're so fancy. We haven't seen him in a suit since her birthday. Happy birthday. Birthday flashback. No, he looks super nice. They like do everything. I mean, they always already did everything together, but when you come together like mm-hmm. that, it's kind of like, oh, you're like a, mm-hmm. you're like a thing. Are you guys a thing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> are we in middle school? We're like, is that a thing? They're talking. <laughs> Uh, okay they are talking and specifically dr mike (laughs) jumps right in to talk to lauren about how would she go about basically changing the rules of the race what do i need to do to make this happen in which there's a number of characters stupid hank man i just okay but wait let's talk about this so first of all lauren's like you don't see women fighting in a war and you don't see women racing so let's talk about that 1917 that was the most teacher thing ever Let's talk about that. (laughs) You even turned your teacher voice on. (laughs) I get excited to talk about this stuff. 1917, Loretta Walsh is the first woman to enlist in the military. What year? 1917. Okay. So we got another good 50 years. Yeah. 1976 is when women are admitted for the first time to the U.S. Military Academy, which is kind of crazy when you think about they let women enlist but didn't even let them attend the military academy until almost like 50 60 years later however i learned about a new amazing woman that i want to write a book about her now deborah sampson have you ever heard of her i had never heard of her i can't say that i have i i like want to say yes because i feel like it's gonna be a cool person but i i don't think i have deborah sampson fought in the revolutionary war and went full Mulan on us by disguising herself. I was going to say, did she pull a Mulan? As a man. <laughs> yes. And she was not caught, although multiple close calls. She got shot in the leg at one point, And to prevent her secret from getting discovered, pulled the bullet out of her own thigh. Sepsis. <laughs> and then what ended up, she ended up getting fever later. And that's how they ended up figuring out. But they discharged her. And then she ended up actually getting full military pension. So that's 1776 beyond, like, I don't know which which year she ended up joining the war. But I just want to say, obviously, they didn't teach this wherever Lauren went to school. I don't think he went to school. Unless cranky man old school. Don't you think he had to to learn how to, like, count money and run yeah. a business? Yeah, but I'm sure history probably wasn't as big as an emphasis, unfortunately. Yeah, for sure. Deborah Sampson, another amazing woman that I have linked in on our website if you want to learn more about her. Really fascinating. I really want to read all about her now. Next, we have women in horse racing. So, 1966 is the first time women trainers are allowed at the jockey club. Hmm. So, 100 years after this. And 1972 is the first time women are granted the right to race. Just for context, the 19th Amendment was ratified in 1919-1920. Women were granted the right to vote, but then still had to fight all these other battles to be accepted at in the military or as tra- horse trainers or as riders. And then Dr. Mike plays the card, and I love this metaphor where she's like, oh yeah, what about Joan of Arc? 
amazing woman, 1412 to 1431. She was a peasant. She was the daughter of a farmer. She felt called by God to help defend the French crown, and she led the French army to multiple victories and was caught by the opposing forces who then tried her and burned her as a heretic. Mm. Which, what happened to Joan of Arc? Maybe not a good example. (laughs) Right. But also to say, die a terrible death doing what she believed was right for Dr. Mike to step down and let men be like, no, you can't do this because you're a woman. Joan of Arc didn't take no for an answer. The crazy thing is the king did not rescue Joan of Arc after she was captured because... Members of his council believed that, oh, if people know that a woman helped lead part of the army, a woman who dressed as a man and fought like a man, that would be a threat to his right to the throne because people would be like, oh, you're not a real king because this heretic crazy woman led your, you know, led your yeah. army. So, so she almost turned her back on by the very people who owed what they had to her, which I guess just goes to the long list of injustice. <laughs> and then Hank brings up Lady Godiva. Lady freaking Godiva. I actually really love the story of Lady Godiva, not gonna lie. What do you know about her outside of the chocolate? <laughs> Real historical figure. I know that she was the wife of somebody important and yep. something about riding naked and she her hair covered her and that's about it. <laughs> Actually, that's not too bad. Lady Godiva was the wife of Lord Leofric. Leofric was a really jerky lord who was taxing his people like crazy, and Lady Godiva was begging him to lower the taxes for the people, and he told her, probably as an insult slash challenge that he didn't think she would take up, that he would eliminate the taxes if she rode through the streets of their city. Uh, in Warwickshire, if she rode through the city naked, I think thinking that she would step aside and not do that, (laughs) do what a good wife is supposed to do. And so what she did is she sent a message out to the town and told everyone to go in their houses and close the doors. And she got on a horse and she was naked, but yes, she had long flowing hair, covered everything basically except her legs. And she rode through the center of town in the nude. And then part of the legend goes that there was a man named Tom who... Oh, I did know. I did know. This is where Peeping Tom came from. Looked out the window and became the first Peeping Tom and he was blinded. You want to talk about some awesome women like between... Mostly I just was annoyed that like, of course, that's what Hank says. (laughs) Uh, yes, naked women. But that's right. my point is that I think that's all that Hank knew. He didn't know that. Do you know why she rode through the town naked? Right. To stand up to a jerky man. Right. <laughs> to help those lesser than herself, right? Most people be like, what is a lady, you know, a lord's wife? Why should she care about the regular townspeople? But she did. And he, you know, I think, like I said, I think the husband gave it as a challenge to insult her and be like, well, if she does do it, it's that's horrifying, right? Nudity, you know, in mm. through the town for everyone to see her, like shameful, but she was awesome. And so, yeah, it is funny. Again, Dr. Quinn, they like to do this little thing where they're like, casually, hey, let's just put in one, name drop. two sentences, but there's so much history. 
I also appreciate Lady Godiva for her inspiration of the Belgian chocolate. <laughs> no, that's interesting. I was kind of hoping you would talk on some of those people. Also, we didn't even talk about the fact that Jake's like, women aren't as fast. Women's bones aren't as strong. Also, I'm an annoying alcoholic. <laughs> Oh, sorry. Well, she's she's hitting below the belt now. Hi, <laughs> nothing against Jake. That annoyed me. I mean, any I think any woman would be like, awesome. No one's gonna be mad at you for being <laughs> against Jake. Oh yeah, no, I just am like. <laughs> yes, women's bodies are built different, but I kind of almost wanted Dr. Mike to be like. Pretty sure you haven't birthed the baby. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Pretty sure you haven't brought life into the world. Exactly. He probably would have used that against her that she hasn't either, which transitions us into her encounter, her second encounter with Doc Cassidy. Oh my gosh. He's like, are you married? Well, that's your problem. Yeah, I know. Women do not belong in horse races or the medical profession. What annoys me is she was just asking about his rider. She was just checking in, you know? Like, he's obviously got some man ego that feels threatened by her. You know who doesn't have a man ego, though? Sully, because he's like, listen, you gotta easy, pick your battles. Mm -hmm. And this is kind of where you were saying earlier, like, <laughs> Dr. Mike has her three steps forward once... Oh, one step forward, three steps back? Yeah, one step forward, three steps back. Because <laughs> then she's like, well, then will you ride Flash? And he's like, no. She's like, well, I'm going to find someone who will. Like, Right. She goes from, oh, they've insulted me. I can't ride. He's insulted me. I shouldn't be a doctor or single or, you know, in horse racing. And so she's like, the only thing I can do, beat his horse. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I mean, I feel like I would probably, like, my brain would work that way too. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not even opposed to that being her progression, except, remember she said earlier, it's not about proving something. Right, that's true. Ooh, bringing it back around. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I like this next scene. Grace is still selling treats at the fair. Colleen and Brian are working on making a pie crust, which I must say are difficult to make, which is why most people buy them now, <laughs> rolled up in the little thing. I just like that he's making an effort and trying. Somehow it turns into like a, a flower fight, which I feel like this happens a lot. The wholesome family scenes, like they're like throwing water at each other. They're throwing flour mm. at each other. And that's not just yeah. this show. That's like multiple shows. It's endearing moments. Right. Brian's trying to decide what he's going to put in his pie. To sum the scene up a little bit, he decides chocolate, pecans, and caramel, which to them is like, what? That doesn't go together. Like, you can't put chocolate in a pie, which I'm sure at the time was not appropriate. But can I just say, I really like to bake. Chocolate, pecans, and caramel, that's like turtle. I don't know if you've ever had those um, turtle candies. Oh. Caramel and pecans covered in chocolate. But that's been an inspiration for a lot of desserts. Like, I've made a, a turtle cheesecake before. Like, we know that those things Yum. go very well together. But I guess at the time, they're not. Pies are more fruit-based, so... He sounds kind of silly to them of what he's putting in his pie. But they also don't make him change it, which I'm happy. I'm glad they aren't like, you can't do that. Because <laughs> we've heard that too many times in this episode. She really listens to what he wants and he knows what he wants. And she goes, well, it's unusual, but if that's what you want, okay. And then behind their back kind of sneaks some fudge into the crust. Honestly, yeah. that sounds freaking delicious. <laughs> like, <laughs> secretly salivating. <laughs> that's gross. In the next scene... Yeah, explain this to me. 
Well, there's not much to explain. If a horse is lame... It's just like very broad, like there's some sort of injury. Yeah, pretty much. Lame just means the horse is in pain and it is causing them to limp. It's causing their gait to be interrupted and it doesn't specify front legs, back legs, where on the leg. It just means for some reason they are limping due to pain and there could be multiple reasons or multiple causes. Mm-hmm. Sometimes going lame has to do with the sole of their hoof, which is a, a extremely, extremely sensitive part of a horse's body. Mm-hmm. And if you think about it, you know a lot about human anatomy. So horse anatomy, I don't know if you know, but horses, horses stand on basically one toe. In their hoof, there is one bone. And then the hoof itself is made from, is it keratin? It's the same thing that our nails and and hair are made from. So they're extremely sensitive. And especially if you get horses that are trained for racing, that amount of pounding, you recognize that horses are running kind of like ballerinas, right? They're basically running, walking on four toes and they're big animals. And so the thing is that a farrier, or as you know, as they would call in this day and age, a blacksmith. The reason you shoe a horse, the reason you have farriers often would trim the hooves in order to. I feel like most people, if you think about it, the way that we buy orthotics for our shoes or or different types yeah. of shoes are gonna put pressure in different places or relieve pressure in different places, and because uh, hooves are made of that keratin, especially in present day, if you have horses who are on pavement or concrete a lot that's going to wear down you know a wild horse very naturally they don't have to worry about it as much because in you know they're on softer ground and the running they do you know they're in control of it but a working horse it's something you need to be mindful of so while i don't agree with the way that hank very physically goes for robert e it isn't a wrong assumption if the horse was fine and then got shod that he wouldn't ask the farrier does that mean get hooved like shod that means get shoes on yes yes okay correct later we're gonna see how hank treats his horses and my assumption could also be that maybe he just ran that horse too hard even before the race and that's why it came up lame or shoeing a horse at the wrong time you know it's the same thing as you wouldn't run a race in brand new shoes right you would wear them in a little bit I think on average today, obviously it depends on the horse, but in even in modern racing, race horses may get new shoes once a month, depending on, you know, what's happening. They have special shoes now, weighted shoes to, to help a, a horse learn to lift their legs more, and then they'll switch them for the lighter ones so that when they run, they feel like they can run fast. There's all sorts of racing strategy now that I don't think would have been present back then right without knowing what hank had done differently maybe with his horse during the course of the couple days leading up to the race if he had just had him get his hooves trimmed or get shot or something then it would be a worthwhile question to ask like the farrier hey what did you see not no he says you intentionally sabotaged my horse right Hank doesn't really go about anything well, so... And also, I think because they already have that history of... They do. Yeah, I think that doesn't really help because... And Hank is racist, so who can he blame? The Black Farrier? Great. Yeah. I do think it's a little weird that Dr. Mike gets involved, where she's like, what happened? And I'm like, 
girl. It doesn't surprise me, though. She's She seems to insert herself in a lot of things. She does. It makes more sense when Sully steps in to stop the fight. Right. Though, where did he come from? <laughs> oh, stop it. It's season two. You can't do that the whole time, okay? <laughs> then, because we know that Hank's upset, he's doing what every other saloon owner does. He's throwing rocks in the creek. Pouting in the woods? Yes, pouting in the woods and throwing rocks in the creek, (laughs) contemplating his life. And Dr. Mike goes down there and actually suggests in him riding Flash, which of course Hank is already opposed to because it's a girl's horse, it's a pony, whatever. Indian pony, girl's horse. He insults this horse in almost as many ways as he insults the rest of the townspeople. I know. Why does she ask him to ride? I mean, she needs someone. Who else is left, Sarah? (laughs) Why doesn't she ask Matthew? Matthew's already riding. Exactly. Why does he need to ride Scout? Why can't he ride Flash? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That's a good point. I don't know. I mean, I guess maybe he wants to ride his own horse, but I kind of feel like... If he's just in it for the money, then that's kind of, you know, you don't have a pride thing about the horse, then it shouldn't really matter. That's a good point. Where I thought this was maybe going to go. Because Sully later will like agree to try and ride. Hank agrees to try and ride, which they decide to make him not only a, a sexist... But an animal you know, abuser. Woman abuser. And, yeah, animal abuser. What I thought they were kind of hinting at is with Snowbird when she was saying, oh, you know, the men think she's useless, but she rides for me. And Dr. Oh. Mike says she'll do anything. I thought they were going to say that this horse was like a girl only horse. Because there are horses that are just like there are dogs, right. you know, who are very conscious of that, like that are a little, they, they actually have a gender preference, which is kind of ironic. And maybe it's good that they didn't do that in this episode because it would be like our own horses have... <laughs> Have gender that preferences. would be a weird, yeah, culminating lesson. But it would also kind of be cool that you have this horse that only will let women ride her and kicks butt when women ride her. Anyway, that's what I thought they were going to do, and they didn't do it, which is fine. But it just seemed weird to me that she asked Sully, and then she immediately goes to ask Hank like she thought it was gonna work out. (laughs) She's kind of desperate at this point, yeah. I don't know. I like that she walks away. She's not gonna take his terrible deal of 60-40 for the prize money. She's like, you were... They agree, though. Like, at the point, at that point, he is still gonna ride her horse. No, because she doesn't shake his hand. Okay, maybe I misunderstood. My impression was she walks away and doesn't agree. And then the next scene, she finds him tacking up her horse so he's decided to ride regardless Um, of the maybe i'm wrong well maybe i'm wrong maybe this is something the listeners could chime in how did you interpret this scene because i interpret it as she turns down the thing but then he he's like what do i have to lose anyway i'm not going to be able to ride anyway right interesting before all that we'll talk about that going down dr mike sees Drew, who's Dr. Cassidy's rider, and goes to check in on him again. He insists he's fine. That's a very short moment there. But then, yes, we see that Hank puts a strong, well, Dr. Mike says a strong bit. Yeah, it's a curb bit. So the bit is the metal piece that goes in the horse's mouth. What's interesting about the bit and what's amazing about the way God designed horses is that horses have teeth that are in the front kind of like molar-like teeth, and then they have a gap, and there's actually a space, and then they have a row of teeth in the upper jaw, 
And so a lot of people don't realize that bit actually sits on the gums in between the two rows of teeth. And so there's actually like a perfect spot for that bit to sit. <laughs> bit to sit. Horses are driven by their heads. The, the direction their head is facing is often going to be where their body is going to follow. And so a regular bit, usually like a D-ring snaffle, it has a little link in the center that sits kind of in the center of the tongue. And then you have the wide uh, rings on either side. And depending if you're an English or Western rider, you either teach your horse to follow or move away from pressure in the mouth. And then often in the legs, horses are taught to move away from pressure. That's why you squeeze a horse, you know, you squeeze with your leg to move the horse forward because they're taught to move away from pressure. So with the curb bit, there's no soft link in the bit. It would have flexibility. A curb bit has a bar in the middle with almost like the bar, like a U shape in the middle. So when they feel that pressure is now intensified and depending on the size of the curb bit, the intensity of that. And so normally the curb bit was in, kind of created so that you could, you didn't have to yank on your horse's mouth. You could just do a little pull right. and it would feel strong in the horse's mouth. But we already know. Hank's putting that in that horse's mouth so he can yank just as hard as if it were a snaffle and that horse has no choice but e either to obey or be in pain. It's the same with riding with spurs, right? Spurs were created not to injure the horse but so that a cowboy wouldn't have to put a lot of pressure that the horse all you'd have to do is lightly touch and the horse would know to move away. But there are a lot of people that abuse these things, these right. really harsh measures and end up really injuring and are I'm getting on a soapbox a little bit here, but like lazy dog owners who are like, oh, my dog behaves really bad, this and that way. They're, it's like lazy owners. They don't want to put in the work to properly train their animal, to build a relationship so that that animal maybe wants to respond to you, wants to work for you in a way. And so they just apply these harsh measures so that the animals are kind of broken into submission. So, yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> Flash... I kind of love that. I think we kind of expect she's going to go buck and bronco on him. Right. But instead, she's a, she's a gentle soul and she just lays down on him. I, she literally like flops over. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Was, there are horses who do that. It's a complete refusal. Right. To engage with him and... Get off of my back. <laughs> yes. Okay, so this is... I have so many movies that I want to talk about. It's not Spirit Stallion of the Cimarron, though that scene is amazing. Uh, and that movie is amazing. And the music is amazing. And the music is amazing. But then we already kind of talked about it. Hank deals with it by deciding he's going to beat the horse. Yeah. And I, I almost... <laughs> wish that Dr. Mike came on more righteous anger. If somebody slapped my horse, yeah, I would not just be like, don't do that. I'd be like, are you kidding me? Like, I would grab my yeah. horse and run, but then she doesn't, and then that gives him the opportunity to try and whip it, whip the horse, which he doesn't because Sully intervenes. Exactly, which, where did he come from? But how dare, how dare you not your horse? So you're done. You walk away. Sully says, man never beats a horse or any living thing. They should have let that line sit a little bit more because we know yeah. Hank. But before this can progress any farther, Cassidy's rider falls, collapses, uh, starts puking his guts out. I think this is the first time that Doc Cassidy really gets... Acts like something's going on. But also gets extra nasty with Dr. Yeah. Mike being like, I don't want you here. Don't tell me what to do. 
And I think it's because he realizes there is something wrong. You and messed so she up. has been right. Yeah. She literally just wants to examine him. He had a serious blow to his head. She says, like, I'm concerned about concussion and cranial compression. The whole vomiting thing. I said there's a lot of symptoms after concussion that may their onset may not be till later, but they can be really concerning. And vomiting and repeated vomiting, nausea, that's like one of them. Like she knows something's not right. He knows something's not right. There, there could be a number of causes of vomiting, like after you have a head injury. Sometimes, depending on, like, let's say where he got kicked, depending what part of his head, there's certain parts, the cerebellum, or depending if you're close to the ear, that can cause balance and dizziness problems. And we know that when people, sometimes that can trigger vomiting. Sometimes yeah. he might just, his head might be hurting so much at this point. Like, I know if you ever had, like, a really bad, like, severe headache or migraine, sometimes it can trigger vomiting. Skull fracture, a hematoma, any sort of collection of blood pressing. They kind of talk about about that well they'll talk about it later i think and he does what we call it's called an mmse which is mini mental status exam where well she does she tries to act like do you know you where you are do you know what day it is you know things yeah. like that but i mean anybody would know hey this dude should probably not race and dr mike suggests he should not ride in the race this is when they're in the tent and actually he's examining him and such and you know it's unfortunate that doc cassidy's treatment plan is sleep and whiskey <laughs> And Dr. Mike, and this is not a bad thing at all. She doesn't let stuff go. Like, I would feel like if someone was that blatantly rude, disrespectful, and dismisses of me, I would be like, okay, mm -hmm. forget it then. But she doesn't. She has the audacity then to be like, you know what? I think your desire to win this race is clouding your judgment over a human being and what how this is going to affect their life, which I think is way to be an awesome doctor and advocate for your patient, even though he's not really your patient. But also yeah. I'm like, dang girl, you're brave because I probably would have been like, okay, forget you. <laughs> it's a theme for her character in this episode, like where she really isn't taking any no's. Yeah. And we do know that about her, yeah. That's kind of like with anything in life, right? Like you, if somebody doesn't want help, unfortunately, you can't like... Well, it's it's not your job to make them want help, right? Yeah. But we, we know that that's not what Dr. Mike believes in. And I think she recognizes that in her experience, the only way she's ever going to be considered is if she persists. Right. Probably in this time, no woman has ever been successful by being like, okay, and then they think about it and come back, actually, honey, I changed my mind. <laughs> the only way she's ever been successful is if she continually shows up, shows up, shows up until they have no other option but to depend on her. Definitely. And then we realize that for Doc Cassidy, this is personal for him. Your desire to prove that you're a better doctor so this becomes about, oh, the only reason he's turning her down is because he's taking it personally that she's not trying to help. She's just trying to prove she's better. Right. Which is not what she's trying to do at all. She's genuinely, she wanted to have a good relationship with Doc Cassidy. And now that the accident has happened, she wants to do right by Drew. Right. But it's, it's out of her hands. For the moment, yeah. On a lighter note, pie eating contest. And... The judges are Jake, <laughs> the Reverend, and Lauren. <laughs> this scene, I don't like the kind of problematic way Lauren's like, you're not trying to be a girl, are you? But did you notice Reverend Timothy Johnson, for once in his life, <laughs> stepped Dance. in and advocated and shut Lauren down and said, hey, knock it off. There's nothing wrong with him entering. And everyone moves past it. And I'm like, see, Reverend, this is what Dr. Mike was talking about. When you take a stand, these people it are makes, like, 
an impact on the community. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And we learn surprise pie. <laughs> well, first he tries it. to name it after Mr. Bray, which I'm like, but after he was just mean to you? But it's so cute. I love his... I, yeah, it is really cute, but... Um, it's mostly funny that he doesn't remember what's in it, so he's like, surprise, bye. At first, I didn't realize that he didn't remember. I thought that he just didn't want to tell them because because of Colleen's reaction. No, I think that definitely was part of it, but I, yeah, I think some of it is like, well, obviously later we'll see. He's like, eh, not yeah. necessarily uh, remember, but um, yeah. yeah. Going back to a really quick scene, Matthew and Drew are riding... I don't know if they're practicing or running through the course or whatever, but Drew doesn't feel well. And um, I guess he's so convinced that he really, maybe he just really needs the money too. So he's convincing himself that he needs to race and is annoyed that another person is asking him how he is. And he actually whips Matthew's horse like out of nowhere, yeah. basically, and immediately then collapses. I think what's the most sad about that scene is that Matthew's trying to help and he's like, you know, Dr. Mike thinks maybe you should sit this one out. And Drew's like, well, what does she know? And Matthew's like, well, she is a doctor. And Drew says, well, so is my boss. Oh, yeah. And he, he says, I'm fine. And I wish they had kind of given more time to linger on that, that Drew knows he doesn't feel good, but he's trusting Doc Cassidy. Doc Cassidy told me I don't have to worry. But it is kind of shame. Yeah, his, his quote unquote final actions are lashing out at another rider's horse the rider of whom was trying to care about you right <sighs> this show man they put drew in a wagon and dr mike rushes over to the wagon once they get into town and apparently they've tried smelling salts they can't get him to wake up and she says again i always get annoyed that she's like i know exactly what's wrong he has cranial compression and he needs emergent surgery like okay 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 <laughs> i get that that is a, a massive ab- assumption and it is a probably a, a good one it would be on the differential <laughs> <laughs> but of course we know that dr mike has done this surgery and she expresses that she can do it doc cassidy of course refuses I don't even remember what his first reasoning is, but then Dr. Mike says, like, you know, we don't know where the blood is pooling. It's dangerous to send him jostling on this wagon to Denver, which is true. She states he could have a stroke. Again, it's hard for me because they're they're acting like if he's had compression, then he's going to have bleeding, which is going to cause even more compression. But then they're talking about a clot. I don't know. I just feel like there's a lot going on that I'm like, okay, I'm not really sure. How would you know that? Well, no, sure. Like, is it a possibility? But I'm just a little confused because it's not necessarily related to the other things that they're bringing up. Uh. I don't know. It's just a little confusing to me. And I think she's making a big comparison to Brian, which, of course, is, is her experience. And it's valuable experience. Doc Cassidy will not let Dr. Mike do it. And the line that, like, sent me overboard, can you guess? If my name was Michael Quinn or hysterical female? Yes, yes. He's like, (laughs) trust me, he wouldn't have a hysterical female cut him open. Any man who refers to women as females, you already know he's a bad word. (laughs) Yeah, it's just this back and forth of like, I'm capable. You are putting your patient at greater risk in sticking to your pride and sending them somewhere that he probably will not make it. And she says that, like, yeah, the chances when I could do it. And so at the end, the decision is sticks that Doc Cassidy sends Drew by himself. I mean, with a rider, but he doesn't even go with him. Like, what kind of doctor? Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, he should go. Right. And and Sully being the good friend slash confidant. Yeah, he tries to comfort her. He's actually very supportive in this whole episode. Uh, yeah, he is. 
he's good at that. But Dr. Mike is still, she says he's not going to make it, which is a very probable thing. And I think she's probably seen enough stuff in the West now to know like what your chances are, especially when it comes to transportation. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's frustrating. She said like, it's no, of course, it's no guarantee that what I do will make him survive, but they're both risky and the one has a pretty guaranteed failure and the other has a, well, we tried. Yeah. I wonder if it would have been different the way that with um, Doc Eli, where they worked together, I wonder if she had offered like, hey, we'll do it together. You can help me. Yeah. I do like that she turns to Jake to confirm that oh, she I performed the that. surgery. And Jake is like, yeah, I, w- I did. I watched her do it, which is cool because, I mean, it's a shame that she has to get a man to support her story, but it's also cool that Jake actually shows up in right. that way to support her. Because we wouldn't, we wouldn't bank on that necessarily, that he would, yeah, tell the truth. <laughs> Jake is not the worst in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> we switch from this very tense scene to the pie eating where the judges are trying the pies and the reverend makes sure that everyone tries all the pies. They go back for seconds to try Brian's pie. There's this really funny video. I, I don't know what show it was from, but there, I saw this funny video on the, on the internet that it was like, how you know you cooked something well and it's like when Gordon Ramsay goes back for seconds. <laughs> and it was like some some cooking show that Gordon Ramsay was one of the judges. You know, they always try just a little bit and then give feedback. And yeah. meanwhile, the other judges are giving feedback. And Gordon Ramsay finishes the whole plate of like stuff that this one contestant made. And it was like, that's how you know that you've done well when Gordon Ramsay doesn't have any feedback, just keeps just eating eats your, your dish. food. <laughs> that's true. Again, Grace is a cheerleader. You did your best. Brian says, I never win anything. But I was like, wait, was this about winning or was it about him be learning to be good at something? I think it was about learning to be good at something. But then, like, the competition is kind of the whole point of it. Like, if he just wanted to learn how to cook, he could have made a pie any other day. But he wanted, like, True. to have something he was proud of. And so com- competition, yeah. it's just in some people's blood. You and I, where when we lived in Pennsylvania, we kind of spent a chunk of our youth going to the local fair in our town. And I had a lot of flashbacks of, of the fair and growing up. And I was trying to think, like, what kind... Did you ever enter anything into the fair? I think some art projects, like schools, yeah. school art projects. I always entered art. And I also <laughs> remember one year I borrowed a neighbor's bunny and entered the bunny and he actually won first prize i don't remember that and then i went to visit the bunny (laughs) their hutch they had a hutch full of rabbits and i couldn't find his name was jake actually (gasps) oh so weird my rabbit's (laughs) name was jake it wasn't even my rabbit it was the neighbor's rabbit but i entered him and i couldn't find jake and i asked (laughs) where's jake and they they raised rabbits to um eat them (laughs) And they had eaten him. <laughs> and they told you that? Like, point blank? Yep. Do they know you? <laughs> Farming people, right? Farmers. Yeah, yeah. no, really. Um, I also, they, they had a horse riding competition, so I would always ride in the horse show. Yeah. I once entered the, I feel like we might have 
I've baked something once, but I think it, I did it with my friend Bethann, who actually was a good baker. So I think she did most of the work. See, that's something like I would like to do now. Um, yeah. I think that'd be fun. Super fun. But, you know, maybe I'll make a turtle pie. Who wins? Speaking of entering things and winning, Colleen takes third. Brian wins first for a most stimulating pie. Excuse me, you totally skipped Margaret who won second place. Don't forget about Margaret. Go Margaret, go Margaret. (laughs) Yeah, he wins first place. But honestly, I bet that pie was really good. It was a dessert pie. Yeah, yeah, but it's very cute. He's like so happy. And actually Colleen looks jealous. And as soon as that happens, the wagon, for some reason, didn't keep going to Denver. As soon as Drew died, it turned around. And I wonder, though, if they, like, checked on him at some point and was like... I mean, obviously oh. did. Don't love Dr. Mike's kind of spiteful, what are his chances now, Doc? Like, a man just died. I know you're mad, <laughs> but yeah. you don't need to get revenge by making him feel worse. Someone died, and yes, it was because of choices that... He made, but still. Probably don't need to bring it up at that exact moment. Back at the homestead, Dr. Mike then is just kind of expressing to Sully and the kids about how she's upset about her treatment as a woman, which is completely valid and obviously very accentuated in this in this episode. To culminate all of that, like I feel like that could have been a really cool conversation. They could have like, I don't know, I feel like there's so much in the episode, but it never really like... Picks. Yeah, because it's like, oh, well, the solution is we're putting Flash in the race. There's never any, Mm -hmm. okay, but what does this mean? How do we properly deal with this other than like being upset and feeling like we have something to prove? I agree. Deciding to enter doesn't feel like trying something challenging or achieving excellence. It feels like, well, I couldn't beat him as a doctor, which that shouldn't be a competition, right? right? And then I'll beat him in the race. Yeah, I feel like there's probably a way... They could have kept the same storylines, but interwoven them in a way that it wasn't, I'm going to prove that I'm more than quote unquote, just a woman by riding in the race. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't quite work. Right. That being said, I want a whole episode of the next scene. <laughs> this is the, she's, she's the man <laughs> montage of no, Dr. It's also, it's also, it made me think of Via Mulan when she's like with Mushu and has the armor on his leg. Yep. Do I look like I'm Chest lying? out. <laughs> Legs apart. (laughs) And strut. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Literally, I would have been okay if they had dropped, like, even the whole Drew plotline and just had a whole whole episode (laughs) of Dr. Mike faking being a man because this scene is golden and it's so funny. It's so funny when Sully's like, don't swing your hips. She's like, I'm not. He's like, well, whatever you're doing, don't do that. (laughs) She's like, I never swing my hips. Her man training, he's like, can you chew tobacco? And she was like, I could never. And then Brian's like, licorice? And then they like shove more and more. He's like in in her face and he's like, shove, yep, push it back there like a big old wad. I'm like. (laughs) Really funny. He's so handsy in this scene, right? Like he's like, he's like grabbing her jaw and and she seems like really overwhelmed, but she's like trying to play it cool. Like I'm a man. It's totally normal (laughs) that he's like touching me and like patting me on the back. She looks like, I mean, like she doesn't look like a man she's just so tiny so it's just funny like she just looks like a a boy wearing clothes that are too big for him or something it's funny dusted her cheeks a little bit so she has like i don't know like a five five o'clock shadow (laughs) but it really just looks like she smeared dirt on her chin you know it's so funny though 
That's like when I think of this episode, that's the scene I think of. This scene and obviously kind of the the one where they go to register, like though if they had ha- had a whole episode of Dr. Mike pretending to be a man, like I would have been like, this is the best episode ever. Yeah. And briefly we have Matthew suggests like, oh, I'm not going to ride. Basically because he's like, I, I want you to win. You know, he doesn't want to give her some competition that's unnecessary she, like at this point, yep. but she's like, you're going to ride, and if I win, I'll give you and Ingrid the prize money, which is sweet. Because then we realize, okay, we knew it was never about money for her, but it's good right. to know. Sully and Dr. Mike are then walking the course, which is good, especially for cross-country. Normally, people walk the courses actually on foot, though, because it gives them a sense of the terrain. But they're, they're riding the course. I almost think it would have been cool if Matthew had been the one to ride the course with her just because Sully's actually never ridden in the race. Right. Which I know I know they want them to have a moment, but I'm like, I think it would almost make sense, especially the scene right before where if Matthew had rode the course with her. But the important thing, and I will come back to this, is he gives some advice. He says, there's a log here. If you jump the log and get back to the trail, it's faster. However... There are holes on the other side and the ground is dangerous. So go the long way around and she's a quick turner so she can get to the front there. And and Dr. Mike says, you know, oh, she turns like a dream. So they've set this thing up and we'll come back to it. We will. Now, the scene that we kind of were referencing earlier, signing up for the race. We have Dr. Mike dressed up as a man, Bill, her alter ego. <laughs> And yes, they've convinced them that this is our Bill, our cousin. This is our Bill. <laughs> this is Bill, our this cousin is our Bill. from Soda Springs. And they're like, we didn't know you had a cousin. Dr. Mike is doing as she was instructed by not talking. <laughs> she, just, <laughs> she just spit. I love like the first spit she does. <laughs> you see Matthew's face. He looks at her like, oh gosh, this is not going to work. <laughs> like we're doomed, basically. Myra comes to uh, cozy up to him, basically. And she pretty much realizes it's, I mean, they don't say that, but she realizes it's Dr. Mike pretty, pretty yeah. early on as soon as she gets close, which I mean, yeah, anyone would. This is not Hannah Montana, okay, where we're pretending <laughs> Miley Cyrus doesn't look like Hannah Montana when clearly we know they're the same person. <laughs> we haven't really talked about it. I don't love their use of Myra in this episode. I and I guess they wanted her to be there but basically they have her she's like mostly in hank's lap for the majority of the episode yeah so after she real she recognizes dr mike she kind of goes back to hank and sits on his lap and distracting yeah that's she's distracting but even in in the opening scene he's got his arms around her then later when she go tries to register for the first time She's by his side. It's weird to me that, because the last time we really interacted with Myra was when, you know, on the deathbed of Horace's mom, where they like made a pledge to like get married and stuff. And we don't, and, and or actually the last we saw was portraits where Myra chose to stand with Horace, not Hank. But then this entire episode, she's with Hank. And I feel like there's some incontinuity in that. Right. As far as the relationship of the characters, but we don't have to talk about it long because I do think if maybe the reason they did that was so that that's why she's there and she, yeah, recognizes Dr. Mike and then she's actually the one that sells it to the men, right? I think they would have kept looking except Myra's like, oh, you know, 
Cousin Bill. And later she'll be like, I entertained him once. Yeah. Because <laughs> Matthew's trying to throw him off. He's like, oh, he's shy. Like, leave him be, whatever. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, there is a purpose, but I do know what you're saying. So the race begins. She knows the Reverend prays over the race. You might think that's kind of crazy, but people die in horse races, especially back then, all the time. I mean, now at least they wear helmets, but people still die. As someone who almost died in a horseback riding accident, every time you get on a horse, you don't know what's going to happen. So, yeah. We learn that Hank is riding Destiny, which I guess makes sense. Do you think... Obviously, a lot of this is like stunt doubles, right? You can... So... Like, at one point, there's one where I can tell, like, that's not Hank. Like, that's not William Shockley. I can tell. Usually, the way that you're going to tell a stunt double is where they shoot from. If they shoot from, like, chest up and you can see the actor's faces, then it's... It's definitely them, but anytime you have either the crane shots or the wide shots, which they, I think they actually have some really cool stunt riding shots, but that's probably not your actors. For one, safety reasons. For another, being able to ride at the speeds that they're riding at. At some points, like, it just, I don't know that the actors, A, would feel comfortable, or B, that the, you know, the directors and would be like, we don't want even risking the accident of our our actors having having an accident because horses are unpredictable. <laughs> right. But before the race starts, Colleen does apologize to Brian for, mm. which I like. She says, I'm proud of you and I'm sorry that I made fun of you about your pie. That's a nice moment. Because I, I like these this A-B storyline because it pairs well, right? Brian yeah. facing this backlash of being a boy who wanted to enter a pie baking contest meanwhile you know you have a woman wanting to race in a man's horse race interesting i just want to note a line horace says the decision of the judges is final this is a lie by the way (laughs) they they will go back on this but he, he says that at the beginning of the race so the race begins it gives me very much Man from Snowy River vibes, which is my favorite horse movie of all time, where they're riding through the brush and through the water. And I love the way they do the checkpoints, where they have riders yeah. at the checkpoints running with news. Because you think about that, especially back then, it's not like they could watch the whole race. So I love that kind of cool effect where we're able to follow the race and the town is able to follow the race because they have these riders who ride back to report where the different riders are you know another movie that this scene reminded me of it came out later man for snowy river was like 1982 so that was pre-dr quinn medicine woman so i'd love to imagine that the man from snowy river film was inspiration for this scene in dr quinn but there is i think it's louisa may alcott Mm. it's the little women author wrote a book called the inheritance yeah She did write that book. In 1997, a film came out based on it called The Inheritance, which someone just realized that actually Henry Sanders, who plays Robert E., was in also that movie. Um, So if if you haven't seen The Inheritance, it's also about a woman who enters pretending to be a man in a horse race and so it, it also gave me vibes uh maybe that film was inspired by the race it's all connected apparently while we're talking about women dressing up as men horse racing go for the classic elizabeth taylor national velvet beautiful film also if you want a more based in a historically true story they took some creative license but it's based on a true story about an old west cowboy hidalgo Hildago is one of the most amazing like horse racing movies ever. It's got Viggo Mortensen. 
But it's where they take this Western cow pony and enter him in a race in the Middle East. And it's amazing. It's really good. Watch it, guys. Go watch Hidalgo. I mean, it's a historic it's a historical movie. And like I said, there's other stuff that happens that wasn't based in the history, but it's a really good movie. This is why this whole episode, I'm like, oh, this is like that scene in that movie I love and that movie I love. So I said you would like it for a reason. Yeah. It wasn't just because of the horses. The race is happening. Hank is in the lead. Matthew's keeping up with him. So what does he do? He just punches Matthew off his horse. Thankfully, Matthew is okay. And I think Hank should be disqualified in that moment. But of course, he won't be. Dr. Mike checks on it, like stops to check on him. He's like, what are you doing? Go! (laughs) So let's talk about, she makes a decision. She is still with the pack, but she has lost, I guess she's lost some time because she stopped to check on Matthew. And so Sully actually runs to the checkpoint to watch and she makes a decision. Surprisingly, all the other riders choose to do that longer way and make the quick turn lame dr mike chooses to jump the log she does and i disapprove (laughs) no i i'm sure it's not smart but for the purpose of the show sarah no but listen she risks the life of her horse and herself no listen holes holes in the ground your horse trips and falls and rolls on you yeah it's game over now if they had set it up that she checked the ground there herself or that she has this sense like, I know Flash can do it. Or just just if they had set up some sort of confidence that she had that she knew her horse best, then I would have felt like it was a justified decision. But right now, especially after she had a conversation with Sully and said, oh, she turns like a dream. It was irresponsible and reckless. That that decision she made to me is just as bad as Hank's decision to slap a horse that won't let him ride it. It's just as, as irresponsible. What I would have preferred, and obviously I didn't write the show, and I'm, I'm, I understand, like you said, this is the decision they made. We all know the phrase, slow and steady wins the race. What I would have preferred is if they had had the other riders choose to take the risky way, and she chose to go the long way and make that quick turn that she already told us that Flash could do. And then slow and steady wins the race. She makes that quick turn and then she ends up in the front because she didn't risk the life of her horse. Because of a, a fall, because of a, a hole in the ground or injury, like that's just, that's, I mean, we just talked about irresponsible animal ownership. She did that because she wanted to win, not because she cared about her horse, not because she cared about her own life. And I think it would have set up better this theme that we're working at. Like, just because she's a woman doesn't mean that she she is incapable, but she is different. But th- what's different about her is what brings her strength. And I think they set up this thing that Sully gave her good advice. They almost make it seem like, oh, he gave her bad advice. No, he gave her good advice. He said, don't don't jump this. It's dangerous. Well, and they do show him. I mean, he sees this whole thing go down. He's like, go around, go around, go around. Don't do that. You know, so yeah. it's not like he, yeah. I know, but it could have ended a lot worse for her. But it's also a TV show. So I'm like, it couldn't have ended worse because we knew that that was going to Because happen. plot armor. Well, and then the other thing is that she doesn't even end up staying in the front. Like, it wasn't even worth it to me. Like, if she had done that and then she stays in the front for the whole rest of the race... Okay, then it was like worth it. But in the end, Hank ends up 
surpassing her and then she has to push Flash harder. I do love, they really show the size difference between the horse that Hank is riding and, the, and her, you know, little Pinto mare. Mm-hmm. It's really cool to see the size difference. And there's one shot where you really see Flash like shoot out from under her and pull ahead. Like I loved, I really did love those shots as a horse person. I do wish they had made a different decision for that climax of the race. I don't, not Sarah approved. (laughs) Correct, right. But as you said, she gets ahead, but then she still falls behind because Destiny and Hank get in front of her. Mm -hmm. But in the last little bit, which is is all kind of fun because Horace, all the spectators can now see what's going down. They're not Mm -hmm. having to just hear by word of mouth. Yeah. So Horace is like describing the whole thing, but she does pull just a little bit. I feel like I was watching the Olympics like a couple weeks ago, like where you're like, oh my gosh, like literally like a split second ahead. But so she does. She finishes first. It's when she's given the the thing. I think this is interesting that her choice to reveal herself, which I'm like, was that the plan all I mean, the plan all along was right to reveal herself to be like, girls can do things too, guys. <laughs> but like she chooses to do it to Doc Cassidy, which mm-hmm. again, I, and we kind of know that that's, he has something to prove, but she definitely does too. Mm-hmm. Um, so she reveals herself to Doc Cassidy. And of course the first person, Lauren's like, you're disqualified. I feel mm-hmm. like I've been like doing a lot of voices this episode. I'm not really <laughs> sure why, because none of them are good impressions, but so of course, right. Okay. Whatever. Dr. Mike and Flash are disqualified. So they're giving all this attention and praise to Doc Cassidy and Destiny going to put the, the, the rose I don't know what that is, sash, the roses, (laughs) on the horse. But nobody cares because everybody is, like, super psyched that Dr. Mike won and pulled off what she did. Mm -hmm. So in the end, plot twist, Jake actually comes around and puts the roses on Flash. And Sully makes a comment that the town's going to be talking about this one for a long time. And I like that. I'm like, true. It's true. It's definitely true. I mean, there's a lot of things we probably talk about with Dr. Mike. but Yeah. And then... He gives her a rose. In front of everyone again. They're not shy. <laughs> it's awkward. Everybody is watching. I don't know. Something about it was really awkward where I'm like, that's sweet, but why is everyone watching you be weird right now? Yeah. I think it's interesting too that she chooses to reveal herself because she gives up the, the prize, the trophy and the money and says, oh, we know what we did. But I'm like, wait, I thought you were winning the money for Matthew. I, that was my first thought too, where I'm like, oh, like, yeah, like I know it was like to prove something, but also like, you know. Because Matthew says to her when she checks on him, he's like, beat him, don't let him win. Right, right. That's not just because he thinks you're cool, mom. Like, <laughs> yeah. He, he wanted, yeah, like he has plans. And then they do this little moment where, you know, Colleen's like, do you think they'll let girls ride next year? Matthew's like, no. (laughs) And then Dr. Mike goes, well, someday, which I guess is supposed to be reminiscent of one woman winning a battle for women's rights doesn't mean it fixes all the battles that women are are gonna face, but it's, it's a step in the right direction. I have mixed feelings about her revealing herself, which, which I guess it's nice. They kind of make it that, no, she did it for herself in that Matthew's like, oh, we could enter more races. And she's like, no, we're just going to go home now. So that, I think, makes it, okay, it wasn't about winning. It was about, you know, proving something to herself. But at the same time, the fact that she does reveal herself makes it seem more like she was trying to prove something to the men. Right. I do like the episode. I mean, what do you think about it as a, as a whole? 
like as much as I sometimes don't like this, I do like when there are resolved, like there everything resolves at the mm-hmm. end. Where it's the whole point of the episode was you're a woman, you can't do anything. You're a woman doctor, you shouldn't be allowed to do that. And even like yeah, the whole Brian plotline. I feel like there could have been a better way to have like a serious conversation about that and how to resolve it, whether that means she's teaching her kids or she's just like internally having that resolution better than than what they did, which was like, let's pour all of that energy and frustration into doing this thing that at the end of the day doesn't really matter because it's, you know what I mean? I don't know. I just, I think tonally it doesn't match, right? We have this the doctor plot line where a patient dies because... Right, like that's the end of that. A man won't let her help him. And then we have this really humorous storyline of Dr. Mike pretending to be a man so she can ride in a race. I almost feel like we should have split them. And we really should have done a whole episode, a whole comedy Hmm. episode. We don't get very many comedy episodes in Dr. Quinn. Like, I want a comedy episode of Dr. Quinn being a man, pretending to be a man for a whole episode and all the hijinks with that. And then, like you said, maybe have a more serious episode about, yeah, like, what, what does this mean that men are, you know, controlling a woman doctor who's equipped and qualified to help people at the cost of patients losing their lives like that's that's super serious and and I don't know like you didn't you didn't really talk about this and I don't know if you want to but I kind of wondered like I wonder how often this happens because I know it happens in dramas all the time but like how often does this happen where you have two doctors maybe who have opposing opinions about a patient's diagnosis and what what do you do in that situation who do you listen to what are the and I know this one it feels obvious to us as a viewer like she's saying hey he's not okay and Doc Cassidy's like he's fine that's extreme but I wonder in the real world how often you have a doctor being like oh this is the treatment they need and another doctor being like no they don't stop wasting their time it does happen absolutely it also depends what specialty you work in right because if you're going to see your your primary care family practice doctor that's one opinion but also I know that I've been trained in PA school and I can't speak for other medical occupations but we are taught to give the patient all options even if we don't agree with those options Mm. you're supposed to give all options right so that means talking through everything and at the end of the day it's the patient's decision and this is where half of my like Mm. education is medical ethics and, and working through these scenarios and I don't know for me a lot of it is obviously not black and white but a lot of it is if you present the options and the patient makes a decision it's your job to honor that decision I think the problem is a lot of people Mm. they put a lot of trust in their providers and I'm sure the day will come and it has not as a as a future provider where a patient will say well what would you do or what do you think and that's when I think it gets hard because it's not your decision and and everyone's case is different and I had a professor be like it's really up to you like I as a provider don't answer that question I give the options and Dr. Mike brings this up. There are probability, like we're science people. Like at the end of the day, I believe in science and evidence-based medicine and statistics. Like that doesn't mean it always works that way. But like in this case, right, the chances of him having a good prognosis and I don't know, surviving, going the wagon route to Denver are hmm. less likely than his chances with a doctor who sure has only performed a procedure one time. And so sometimes I think it's okay to like give your opinion like, well, here's what we've seen. 
And, you know, that's why a lot of people, like, go get second opinion or third opinion because they want to hear what other people have to say. And although we're all trained in Western medicine, the way that we do it is a, can be very different, and it does depend on what specialty you're in. You know, like, if you're going to have a major surgery, there's going to be multiple yeah. surgeons there that are going to be talking about what's going on, talking about your options, versus if you're at the doctor's office and you have a urinary tract infection and <laughs> you want to know your options. Like, so, I mean, it definitely happens, and I, I wish I right. could say that every provider does that well, has that conversation well, and gives all the options. Obviously not. Every occupation, there's going to be issues. But yeah, it's a good thing to bring up. And it makes me think like, oh, as I'm going through clinicals and thinking about patients that I will have, like, I want to make sure I'm not biased. I want to make sure I give all the options. I want to make sure I respect the patient. And in this case, I don't know, it's it's obviously hard because they're in the 18th century. And Dr. Mike kind of has nothing to do with it. But Dr. Cassidy has some skin in the game, so it's, he's kind of going to feel like he needs to do a certain thing. But, yeah, I mean, it definitely it definitely happens. And I think yeah. if you're a good provider and you genuinely care about your patient and you're genuinely going to do everything you can to make sure they have the best outcome possible, it shouldn't be too much of an issue. Mm. That's really good insight. Thanks, Kel. You're welcome. So, favorite scene in the episode my favorite scene is yeah it's the scene where she's like walking around being a guy it's just too funny (laughs) yeah i would pick that one as well because it is really funny as far as more sentimental scenes go i do like the scene of her and colleen talking about times in her life where people have told her no. We are gonna do ranking for like season two episodes but we also want to put it in all of Dr. Quinn episodes, where would you put this one in our lineup? This is probably has the most comedic elements in it. Yeah. There's not too many other episodes that have funny, funny things. (laughs) Uh, Well, I'm looking. I've mentioned The Visitor is our number five. That one was very comedic. We have The Great American Medicine Show, which has the similar doctor versus doctor for a bit running ghost i felt like was definitely more character driven though i felt probably very similar about the ending Mm -hmm. how do you feel about below the secret above the prisoner which would put it as the new number nine trying to think about the prisoner that's above portraits which i know you liked i know you really didn't (laughs) did i you had issues with it. You had I issues. Mean, I mean, is- I have issues. I have issues. Okay? I got issues. <laughs> you got them too. See, you're like, oh, why do you keep putting in things of me singing? But you sing all the time. <laughs> Welcome to my life. Because it's definitely better than Law of the Land. Yeah. Honestly, I'm kind of comfortable in that, like... Number nine? It's, there's no resolution. So, yeah, I'm okay with that. Okay. And remember, we'll revisit it at the end and we can adjust once we fill it up more. We have finished episode one of season two, which means don't forget to write in for our lessons game. If you're new here or you haven't listened in a while, after every Not A Lady podcast episode, we ask listeners to write in lessons that they believe characters learned or ways that they grew during the episode, as well as maybe something that viewers learned. And it can be related to the specific Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman episode, or it could be related to the Not A Lady episode. So we invite you to write in. Kelly, will you tell them the places where they can do that? First off, don't be afraid to email us. The email is notaladypodcast at gmail.com. You can also check us out on social media, which includes Instagram, 
Twitter, and Facebook. It is at Not A Lady Podcast. We do love to hear from you guys, and I feel like it's it's been a hot minute. So <laughs> I'll enjoy that. If you listen on iTunes, you are able to write us a review and give us a star rating, which helps more people find the podcast. The next episode we are going to be talking about is titled Sanctuary. Oh, is that? Um, oh, I think that's the one where we meet Dorothy. Maybe. I hope so. I like Dorothy. Well, sometimes. <laughs> so please look forward to that. We will be updating on our social media when that is headed your way. Thanks so much for listening, guys. It's always great to get together and talk about Dr. Quinn. Good old Dr. Quinn. We'll see you guys next time. Bye.